0: Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Greg Wells, and this is my podcast. I'm a scientist, a physiologist, an author, and I love exploring how to live a high-performance life. In my books, my presentations, and this podcast, I am doing my best to translate hard science and powerful experiences into actionable, effective life performance strategies. Using the latest research on the brain and the body, this podcast will show you simple but transformative strategies that boost mental and physical health advance careers and upgrade lives. I am committed to changing one life at a time for the better. I want to focus on health, happiness, and performance. And I call my mission, the billion person problem. And I don't kid myself that I'm going to reach a billion people, but that's the dream and the space where my passion, my expertise, and my practices all come together. My passion is to help people live healthier and more impactful lives. My expertise lies in the research that I both try to conduct and engage in for a living. And my practice is devoted to providing evidence-based insights and strategies that make it possible to achieve personal and professional success. And that is what this podcast is all about. I hope that you love the show and it makes a big difference in your life. Let me know what you think on Twitter at Dr. Greg Wells. And without any further delays, let's dive into this episode of the Dr. Greg Wells podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's great to be with you. I am really excited about this podcast because it's actually me being interviewed. I'm sharing with you a conversation that I had with Dr. Mark Bubbs, who is a naturopathic doctor, is a master of science, certified strength and conditioning coach, a speaker, and he is the performance nutrition lead for Basketball Canada and is a former strength coach. He's also the author of the book, Peak, The New Secrets of Performance that is Revolutionizing Sports and Integrated and Personalized Approach to Athlete Health, Nutrition, Recovery, and Mindset. He's a regular contributor to Breaking Muscle and a nutrition advisory board member for Strong Magazine. He's been working with athletes and active people and clients striving to improve their health for almost two decades and uses an evidence-based approach to nutrition movement and lifestyle modifications. He regularly consults with teams in the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, and the MLB, making him one of the few professionals who is an active consultant sports science consultant in all four professional sports leagues in North America. Uh, We had a great conversation, went deep into human performance, into optimizing potential, uh, and I just thought it would be great to share that conversation with you. So without any further delays, uh, from outside of an airport in northern Canada about to fly home, please excuse the background noise, uh, here is my conversation with Dr. Mark bubs from the performance podcast
1: greg thank you so much for taking the time today bud hey mark thanks so much for
0: having me on the show i'm so
1: excited fantastic well i'm looking forward to talking mental and physical performance here today and and diving into your latest book the focus effect but perhaps before we start um we can talk a little bit more about your background and you know when you were doing your studies kinesiology studies at university you know when did you know that you really wanted to pursue a phd and work in elite sport
0: I'm still not sure what I'm doing. That's kind of funny. Um, so when I knew I wanted to get into kinesiology and human physiology fairly early on, uh, I broke my neck when I was a teenager and that sort of sparked my interest in medicine. All my friends were doing business. So initially I applied to do business in university, but I I was missing one mathematics at and the school that I wanted to go to, University of Calgary, because they had a great swim team. Uh, wouldn't let me in. I got into Western, I got into University of Toronto, I got into UBC, like all these great schools, but Calgary wouldn't take me. So I was like, oh, I'll just do kin kinesiology for a semester, get my math, and I'll transfer over into business. And as soon as I took anatomy and intro to physiology, I, I was hooked. And uh, so I ended up doing my, my undergrad in kinesiology, which was great, and swam all the way through university, which was loads of fun. When I graduated, I started a company and did human performance consulting very early on, taking what I'd learned as an athlete and applying it to the business world and fairly rapidly ran up against an executive at a bank who looked at my bill. And she said, so what are your qualifications? And I was like, I have a kin degree So And then she said, you probably need to go back to school. So uh, at that point I went back and did, and I realized that I needed to get more education. So I did my master's and PhD uh, and sort of wove my way through exercise physiology, into respiratory physiology into biomedical engineering when I did my postdoc and then respiratory medicine uh, at sick kids so it was a long convoluted path that's still evolving but the theme of the human body and optimizing health and performance have have really been a, a through line for the whole for the whole time
1: that's incredible uh it's amazing those little moments in life that steer us in a certain direction and obviously uh, really spark something there and, and- you know, Greg, if we talk about your time as director of sports science at the Canadian Sport Institute, you know what were some of the, the biggest lessons learned through successes or failures that, that really stand out for you and impacted your perspective on,
0: on human performance? Yeah, so all the way through all of that academic time on the side, I worked as a physiologist for the Canadian Sport Institute, uh, ultimately becoming the direct, director of sports science there for my last two to three years there before I went full-time into academia uh, at U of T. And it was incredible. I, in, uh, early on, I was doing the lab work. I was on the training camps. I was at the swim, swim, swim competitions and the beach volleyball tournaments and the bike races and doing the blood work and the heart rates and that was just incredible. And ultimately, being a uh, integrated support team lead for various different national teams and and then traveling a lot and ultimately in a bit more of an admin position as the director of sports science. And I, you know, if I was to say that there was one Thing that made the biggest difference that enabled me to do that at a high level and get the trust of the athletes and coaches and build relationships was that despite the fact I was doing a PhD in physiology, despite the fact that I'd competed internationally as an athlete or at least sort of up almost international level, World Cup ish level, not Olympics, but uh, was the fact that I listened to people and I really listened to the coaches and I wouldn't say much for a long time. I was a worked with canoe kayak for many years. And I remember sitting on the dock down in Florida, the athletes were going up and down. I was doing blood work and doing all of my measurements. And I sat with the coach uh, for gosh, I'll ballpark it at six months. And all I did was ask questions. I didn't tell them a single recommendation. And eventually Mark, the coach asked, turned to me and said, well, what about this? and then the relationship began we were uh friends and collaborators for you know and colleagues for many many years through four olympic cycles but the patience to wait and gain people's trust by learning even though hypothetically i could have contributed on day 1 uh being patient and and seeking to understand before you're understood in sports i think is crucial and also probably in medicine i know you've probably many medical practitioners and nutrition practitioners listening in, if we understand our clients, if we understand our patients better, before we begin to offer our wisdom as professionals, I think it can make a huge difference for everything that we're trying to do. So, but, you know, I had to sum it up in one critical moment, that moment with Mark uh, on the dock down in Florida, you know, covered in, salt water and sweating and that was uh that was the moment that changed everything that enabled that entire path of my career to become successful
1: yeah it's incredible isn't it how relationships form and as you mentioned being able to to listen and to to really understand another's perspective and, and once that relationship gets to a certain point then people are ready to take on board that information whereas obviously in some environments if you're coming in um right off the bat and making recommendations. If the relationship's not there, you're just not going to get that buy-in. And of course, the end result's not going to be there. And, you know, you talked about medicine as well. Uh, That's definitely one where I think recently I saw a study showing that, you know, doctors are interrupting their patients. I think it's something like 13 or 23 seconds into visits. So really just not enough time uh, spent listening. So that's that's a great tip there. And Doc, can you speak to listeners a little bit more about you know, in working in an elite sport, the, the importance of fundamentals and consistency, that hard work day in, day out, that's really needed to be the best in the world.
0: Yeah, if I was to look at it in hindsight and track, I've had that incredible gift of working with almost 200 Olympic athletes over the years and many different sports. And I've been to three Olympic Games with CTV as a commentator. If there was one through line to all of that, if someone was to say to me, you know, what, what's the one thing about Those athletes that make it versus those that don't. Why are some athletes successful? It's consistency around the fundamentals. And I listened to a podcast with LeBron James recently. And one of the things that stuck out for me was that he does hundreds, if not thousands, of layups every day, every week. Even at this stage of his career, he's practicing the fundamentals, the most basic move in basketball. He continuously does it. uh, So that if that opportunity ever comes up, it's unconscious. His performance is so hardwired into the motor patterns of his brain that he's able to execute without conscious thought and that's the game for all of us if you want to get healthier if you want to get fitter if you want to uh, improve your body composition it's consistency over time getting to work out every single day doing your recovery protocol every single day uh, eating healthy foods every single day not to say you should have a treat from time to time that's totally okay not to say you shouldn't take a day off, you absolutely should, but it's the consistency over time that adds up. And it doesn't have to be massive changes that lead to success either. If you look at Team Sky and cycling when they were winning uh, the Tour de France and Olympic medals, and I know there's doping accusations, so just put that aside and consider what they were doing from uh, engineering the best that they could to, get to, the, to do as well as they possibly could. They took care of every single little detail. So they looked at the rolling resistance of their tires and on the bicycle, on the bikes to see if they could find a type of rubber compound that offered less resistance so that they could get a one to three percent improvement in, in power output. They put booties on all their riders to improve the aerodynamics of the feet moving through the air as they pedaled on their bikes. Every single little detail. And so when you add up these little tiny 1% improvements consistently over time, you end up with these exponential gains. And that is what makes the impossible possible. That's what turns success from a hope into a fact. So if anyone listening is trying to figure out, you know, how do I get to that marathon? How do I finish that 10K? Uh, How do I change my you know, decrease my percent body fat. How do I help my clients? That's in my experience, and in watching many, many people, you know, that is the the fundamental, uh, as you said, that that's the fundamental thing. It's consistency, and microscopic wins added up over a long period of time. Yeah,
1: so true, and it's definitely something that's difficult to convey to um, you know the general public. Sometimes we always want that fast body composition weight loss, or, or you know fitness change, what are some strategies that you might use when you're working with um, general population or even giving a talk in a general audience to help people to reinforce that idea of consistency being so crucial to to achieving that outcome?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm so many times have heard, you know, is there a hack that I can use to to get there? (laughs) I hate biohacking. It's such a big thing. And I've been labeled as a biohacker in the lovely, um, in the internet. Uh, I am not a biohacker. I'm a physiologist and I love to study how the human body works and to find ways of optimizing human health and performance. But I don't think that there's a shortcut. You can certainly use cold or heat or compression gear to improve your recovery. You can use uh, nutritional supplements to achieve certain things if you're very specific. Uh, But we really need to look at the fundamentals of what we do on a daily basis. And some of the things I've been learning about and speaking about quite a bit recently are the intersection between the four big elements of what we can do to make our lives better, which is sleep, nutrition, exercise, and mindset. And can you get to seven and a half hours of sleep and then helping people figure out how to make that happen, going to bed consistently, uh, blackout lines, turning your devices off an hour before you go to sleep at night, finding as many things you can do to improve the quality of your sleep. Then diving into nutrition and figuring out how to get into a high nutrient, not high calorie, diet because health uh, really revolves around how many nutrients per calorie you can get into your system. Eliminating processed foods, uh, getting away from highly processed foods that are high in simple sugars or trans fats. Uh, the basics: you know, eat as many plants as you as you can from a variety of different colors. It's not rocket science. You drink a lot of water. Right? It's not is not complicated. And then moving into exercise. And we know that as little as 15 minutes of walking a day can decrease your risk of cancer 24 to 40%, depending on what study and what type of cancer you're looking at. So it doesn't even need to be that hard. It's the consistency that matters. And then finally leading into mindset where we can use things like meditation to improve, to get rid of ruminating thoughts or to improve our ability to control our attention, because that's the fundamental currency in our society right now, or we're addicted to distraction. Uh, So that's been the real focus of what I've been speaking about lately is going after these four areas, sleep, eat, move, think. That was the foundation of the book, The Ripple Effect that I put out. Uh, And it's when we start to do all of those four elements together that our potential really begins to unlock and incredible things become possible for us.
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely a very timely book, your latest book, The Focus Effect. And you know, with the world that we live in today, the tremendous amount of connectivity, which is obviously tremendous for things like this, being able to connect um, with with folks across the world and being able to listen to podcasts. But of course, on the other side of the spectrum there, uh, you you talk about distraction and how can folks go from distraction to focus? Yeah,
0: that's probably the single greatest challenge that we're all faced with in this world i'm a massive fan of technology i think that the fact that we all have the entire history of all human knowledge in our pocket at all time in the form of our cell phones our mobile devices is incredible it's wonderful you can communicate with anyone on earth uh video calling it's almost sci-fi like in its capacity to change the world for the for the better uh i think that the Merger between humans and technology that appears to be occurring has, has also some tremendous potential for improving health and longevity and and making the world a better place. But we're very early on in this revolution that we're experiencing right now. Much as we went through from a shift from agriculture to industry a hundred years ago, we are now making the shift from industry to technology, and we're very early on. We're ten, maybe if you really push it, twenty years into into this fundamental shift in humanity. And we're not adapting very well because it does take time to get, figure out how to use these devices properly. And the simplest way that I can put it is I would love for people to consider intention versus compulsion. If you are intentionally using your technology to accomplish a task or build a presentation or make a piece of art or create some music or deliver a presentation or make a sale uh, or analyze a performance or, uh, you know, deliver health information to people, then I think technology holds tremendous promise and uh, I think can make the world a better place and make people better and healthier and help us to perform better if we're intentionally using tech. If we are compulsively using technology, it's a huge problem. If you're compulsively scrolling through Instagram at three o'clock in the morning, that is problematic. As Dr. John Izzo uh, put it in one of his books recently, uh, if uh, one of the things that he he highlighted was that if we positively engage on social media, if you comment on other people's posts in a positive manner, it can improve your mental health. If you scroll and only consume content, it has a negative effect on your mental health. So it's how we engage with technology that I think will make all the difference in the world for people. And if you're looking for a way of sort of auditing yourself or thinking about how you're doing things, uh, to move from distraction, that addiction to distraction that we have to a position where you're able to focus uh, more easily, more often, really do an audit on your intention versus compulsion. If you're, if you feel that urge to check your phone, just let it go. Um, breathe through it. Allow that urge to pass and return to the moment. And you'll begin to notice some big shifts in your psychology if you, if you do that.
1: Yeah, it is amazing to see how things have changed over even in the last decade, decade and a half of just what uh, the social norms of of even in conversation with someone, you know, now folks are kind of half looking at their phone and half talking to people or if you stroll down the street and, and take your head up from your phone, you start to realize that 80% of the people are, have got their head down on their phone. So I think that's a really great point you mentioned of of, of having that sort of uh, ability to to get away from that and to dial in when, when you need it, and when you need to be productive and of course, in the book, you talk about personal mastery and mastering your morning. You know, What does that mean, and, and how can listeners uh, achieve that?
0: Yeah, personal mastery is a term I picked up from Robin Sharma, uh, who wrote The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. I, I speak at Robin's event at Titan Summit every year, and it's one of the things that he says. I really love it, and we picked up on it when Bruce and I wrote The Focus Effect to really dive into what are the, some of the strategies that people can use to really develop mastery life mastery work mastery personal mastery and over and over and over again the world-class performers that we examined and explored and interviewed had very rigorous morning routines Uh, uh, you can wake up early if you want to you can wake up later if you want to but whenever you do wake up there's a protocol that these people follow that enable them to reach their potential on a daily basis Uh, self-care is always a part of that that involves things like You know, a hot shower, but finishing with cold to activate the endocrine system, Uh, getting your morning workout in, doing your journaling, gratitude, exercise, meditation, healthy food, all of which you can mix and match to try to create a protocol that you use uh, to get your day going in a controlled way so that you're fueled properly. You've got great nutrition on board. Your mindset is um, optimized and you've gotten your exercise in. Little things like exercise in the morning, increase BDNF, brain drive, neurotrophic factor that improve brain performance uh, and brain adaptation. If you eat the right types of foods, you're going to have a stable level of energy for a long period of time. Uh, If you do your meditation, you'll be able to control your attention. And if you compare sort of imagine waking up and doing, you know, going to the washroom and doing doing all of that, uh, maybe doing a bit of journaling or reading. Followed with some meditation, followed by a little workout, followed by some food. Now, the entire protocol could take you an hour, but imagine that relative to jumping out of bed, checking social media, going through your email, racing downstairs, uh, you know, grabbing a bite to eat out your door, whatever happens to be, you know, front and center in in the fridge. We we live in an uncontrolled way, and I want to take the guesswork out of health and human performance. So getting control of your morning in order to establish personal mastery is a really big uh, factor that I think can make a huge difference for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, it is amazing. Once your morning, once you are productive and feel like you've been productive in that morning, uh, it, it could definitely change mindset and how you feel and then your ability to be, uh, to create quality work. And of course, routine is a key part of all that. And, and Greg, I, I've noticed with clients as well as with athletes, you know, when, as they as they get a little older or start to have families, you know the little people in the house start changing up how much sleep we're getting, and and all of a sudden the morning routine has to be adjusted or, or, or definitely tweaked. How does that? Um, how do you help support um, athletes or clients when the environment's sort of not optimal in terms of performance, but you need to work around that and be able to to get them to perform as best as they can?
0: Yeah, I've got two little ones, and they are four and eight. So I'm through finally after, let's see, yeah, a long time of not having any control over sleep to finally they are now in a good position and they are sleeping really, really well. Uh, One of the things that I've done over the last couple of years that's made a huge difference is that I know my kids get up around seven. So I've got to be finished my workout by seven o'clock. If it happens one second after seven, it gets disrupted. Now, Adam at two or three is walking into. Walking in, we built a little tiny fitness center in my house. We took one little tiny room and put in a bike and a TV and a, some kettlebells and some weights and, um, and a treadmill. But he's walking in at seven o'clock, so I've got to be done by then. Getting up early is huge for people that have uh, little ones, but you still want to get in a workout. And by the way, workout could be not necessarily exercise. Um, it could be meditation. It could be a stretching uh, a mind-body practice like yoga. It could be personal development like reading. It is absolutely crucial that no matter how busy you are, no matter how how many pressures you're under, uh, no matter what your family situation is, that an hour to an hour and a half a day should be spent on something that makes you a better person, whether that's learning, uh, journaling, Exercise, eating healthy, recovery, getting a massage, doing a yoga class, spending some time with a friend, getting on the phone, calling up your mom and dad. Like, if we can find, sorry, if we can carve out and defend 60 to 90 minutes a day for us to develop as people, it doesn't matter how busy you are. And we can all find it. I've been with the busiest people on the planet, the people that are the highest performers on the planet in business, music, sports. Uh, doesn't matter. Those people that have really crafted world-class lives have come to realize that it's not your success that determines your lifestyle, it's your lifestyle that determines your success. And they're not just saying that in hindsight, it's how they actually got there and achieved what they managed to achieve. So please control your environment Uh, make it easy for you to get some exercise in, create a space in your house that you use for meditation, create a little space in your house that you use for exercise, uh, get rid of all of the bad food out of your house. It's okay if you go out for a treat, but if you keep it in your house, you or someone that you love will eventually eat it. So control that that environment, control what you do and find 60 to 90 minutes a day, whatever time works best for you to do something that makes you a better person.
1: Fantastic advice. And if we dovetail on that idea of mastering your morning, I know you talk about the difference between time management and priority management. Can you uh, unpack that a little bit for listeners?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, it's not just morning uh, mastering the morning, it's also mastering your evening. That 60 minutes be- after you wake up and the 60 minutes before bed are bookends to your day. So contemplate crafting a a protocol that you use for both of those. And and if you can do both of them, then it completely alters the shape of your life. And that leads into this idea of priority management, not time management. And what I've seen in this era of constant, unrelenting distraction, where we live out of our email inbox, we live out of our calendars, we are being inundated with notifications from social and text messaging, where we've lost control of our time. Everyone else is controlling our time, not ourselves, is that A critical element in our ability to get back control of our lives, which in many cases we have lost, is the ability to do priority management, not time management. So being absolutely clear on the three to five things that you want to achieve this year, this quarter, this week, and today, and beginning your day with a quick glance at, you know, what are my big five for the year? What are my big three for the year? You know, what am I accomplishing this quarter? What do I need to accomplish this week, which I do on Sunday nights? And what do I need to accomplish today, which is what I do first thing in the morning after my 60-minute uh, runway that I, that I run first thing when I wake up. And so it's not the easiest thing in the world to do because you're living in an environment where everyone's going to be competing for your time. But strategies may include something like don't check your email until 10 o'clock in the morning. Turn off all, all the notifications on your phone, your computer, and your watch and your mm-hmm. iPad so that when you want to check your email you check your email but you're not getting alerted and your attention dragged back towards text messaging i have an apple watch i've turned off all the notifications um i have a phone i run it on do not disturb mode 24 7 same thing on my computer i've turned off all the notifications so that if i want to engage i engage if i don't want to then i do not get alerted and getting control defending your priorities is so important otherwise you'll be very very busy but you'll accomplish absolutely nothing that's important and that's a you know fundamental concept that i learned almost 20 years ago from stephen covey it's one of his principles from the seven habits of highly effective people and it remains just as true today as it was 20 years ago
1: definitely um Totally agree with the the idea of getting rid of the the notifications. I mean, you talk about fighting that compulsion to want to check and and to be engaging on some of these platforms. And of course, if you remove those, then that's a great way um, to to help to reduce that compulsion. So so terrific um, advice there. And and you mentioned mastering your evening. Uh, it's definitely something I wanted to dovetail into here. The kind of the bookends of the day. I find such a, a key uh, concept for people. And that importance of, of recovery, regeneration, you know, for yourself, are there any red flags when you're working with athletes or working with general public, um, corporate clients that really stand out for you that, you know, okay, this person's really got to shift their focus to, to start to master the evening because that's becoming a real roadblock to, to success.
0: Two things. First of all, dinner with your family must be device-free. There should be no devices anywhere near the table when you're at dinner with your family. That is so foundational for relationships, for communication. And it's extraordinarily difficult in this era. A good colleague of mine, Dr. James Rouse, has a little wicker basket that everyone throws their devices into when the family's about to start dinner. And when dinner's over, you can go get your device, but no one touches or looks at their phones during the course of dinner. So that's so crucial if you want to have a relationship that works. And it's a battle. If you have teens, I totally get it. The second thing for athletes and for business people and anyone else that is a high performer wants to be a leader in their field um, or their lives is to make sure that you are device free for the hour before you fall asleep at night is so important for us to defend that last hour so that you can unwind, you can create a bit of a barrier between your day and falling asleep so you can decompress. So you can do some journaling, read a great book, fiction, maybe a biography, take a hot bath, followed by a cool shower to decrease melatonin, uh, sorry, increase melatonin production when you decrease body temperature, maybe do some meditation, some gentle stretching. It's so important for us to craft that evening routine that enables us to fall asleep quickly and deeply at a consistent time. Because if you do that, then all of a sudden your brain repairs itself better. We We learn and we're creative when we sleep. We're not we we do not learn during the day we learn when we sleep and so when we build these routines around our evenings it enables us to fall asleep quickly and deeply we're healthier we can perform better and we can ultimately reach our potential more easily during the course of the day
1: absolutely it's um it is amazing how um those bookends as you mentioned i mean the, in the evening there that stimulation throughout the day that things that are grabbing our attention, whether it's uh, emails, uh, projects, et cetera. There seems to be so much more of that today, obviously. And so it becomes even more important to really defend that last uh, 60 minutes with, uh, as you mentioned, the light stretching, um, whatever it may be in terms of cold showers, et cetera. And I, Greg, I also heard you mention that uh, I really like this tip around you know, when you go to the park with your kids now, you don't take your phone with you. And I think a lot of us are naturally want to bring the phone because the phone's got the camera and they want to take some pictures. Um, Can you describe, uh, you know, when did you start doing that and and how effective has that been for you in terms of strategy?
0: I started doing it almost four years ago when my daughter was really into the movie Shrek, which is the one with Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy. And there's the ogre and the donkey and the princess. And uh, there's a scene in that movie where the princess, after being rescued, looks at the ogre and says, your job is not my problem. And so I was at the park with Ingrid and of course I was on my phone and she looked at me and quoted the movie and said, your job is not my problem. (laughs) So I put away this is, she's like three. So I put away my phone and I haven't taken it back to the park since if I do want pictures, and of course that's great to create memories. There will be times where I bring it and take some, take some pictures because that's what I'm intentionally trying to do the other thing I'll do is take my DSLR with me and my good camera and actually take some great pictures of my kids. Uh, but in general, if I'm spending time outside playing with my kids, I will do everything in my power not to bring tech with me because I'm not strong enough uh, to resist the temptation to, you know, check the email, fire off a tweet, do a quick Instagram post, comment on Twitter. Like, it's just, I'm just not strong enough, so it can't come with me.
1: <laughs> well, it's good to know that everybody can succumb because I think that's a pretty common uh, common one for all of us. And. Uh, Greg, if we circle back to your work in elite sport here, you were a commentator at the uh, 2010 Vancouver Olympics and also in Brazil 2012 when you did the super body segments, definitely something that uh, stands in my mind and, and the memories of some of those segments. Can you tell folks a little bit about um, preparation for that? And of course, you do a lot of corporate speaking, but I imagine, you know, doing a, um, a stint like that, where you are going to be talking in front of millions of people. What was that like in the preparation mode and, and the execution?
0: Yeah, Super Bodies was without question one of the most fun things I've ever done. Uh, we've built a series of videos that aired during the Olympic broadcasts in Vancouver in 2010 and London in 2012, and they were very well received. They went all over the world. Uh, and it was amazing to be able to show the physiology of human performance in that environment when you have these incredible athletes that you can highlight. And the preparation was you know, so rigorous, I can't even begin to describe it between writing the scripts and figuring out the topics and getting the CGI, the computer-generated imagery, accurate to the human body, uh, delivering the performances on camera, which required massive amounts of rehearsal, and and then ultimately being at the Olympic Games to commentate live for CTV and TSN, uh, distilling performances in the moment to describe what, what happened. Uh, in addition to the superbody segments, we did a ton of live analysis, which was such a blast. and. There was one thing that I think made the biggest difference for me uh, in and around all of that time. I had a chance to chat to Brian Williams, who is the host of the Olympics for CTV in Canada. Not Brian Williams from the U.S. that encountered some challenges with the, the Me Too movement. But Brian Williams in Canada is a great, wonderful human being. Love him and, and uh, took incredible care of me as I was getting used to being on camera. And one of the things that he said, which I thought was, was fascinating, was that The more you prepare in advance, the easier it is to do when you're actually there. And he had a binder with him. uh, And Byron McDonald, who's the swim commentator, has the the same thing, where there's notes on every single athlete. There's notes on every single sport. There's notes on history, location, uh, training principles, quotes that they've done. And so when they're speaking about these athletes, they have quick reference guides that they can jump to and lean into in the moment. So the preparation is, is so extensive. And the people who look like they're off the cuff, people who look like they're very natural people that look like they're just enjoying themselves, I've found, um, you know, when I'm behind the camera in studio, are also the ones who have rehearsed, who have prepared, who have studied, who have Uh, plan to have vetted every single thing that they're doing so that by the time they're actually in front of the camera uh, It's so easy for them. They've already done it a thousand times And that's what I tried to do as well is just overwhelmingly prepare So just as an example, I would do these two to three minute segments um, Of analysis during primetime during the olympic games and before I would go on I would write the script two to three minutes and I would seek to perform the script with no mistakes 20 times in a row before i went on air incredible and so that was my goal every single day was to be able to deliver the lines perfectly with no mistakes 20 times in a row then i knew i was able to go on camera and actually do it on the live broadcast itself so that's the level of prep that these guys do and why some of them are are so amazing at it and one of the things that i've tried to adopt and everything I've, I've done since that moment in all aspects of my life
1: Yeah, it's incredible how much repetition it takes to build that automaticity. And it's uh, just like in athletics that over and over and over again, preparing, preparing. And then as you mentioned, it just looks like it's come second nature and uh, absolute natural when the person's delivering it. So uh, yeah, fantastic series. And uh, definitely if folks haven't seen that, then then definitely check it out. I'll I'll include some links as well in the show notes here. And uh, you know, Greg with, with your career, so many incredible different facets to it. If we come back to you as a scientist, you know how important has it been through all these different mediums for you to be able to share the science, to interpret the science, and to connect people more with with today's uh, latest um, evidence in the science?
0: Yeah, that's ultimately become my mission in life. I've found that I'm much better at translating science and helping people to understand it than I am at pretty much anything else. I think that's really something I love doing. I think that's something I'm good at doing and something that gives me massive energy and something i feel is the right thing to do and if i do it right if i do it well we'll make the world a better place so i've really tried to help people deconstruct understand science, deconstruct and understand science better so that they can take action and actually make their lives better i've tried to decode nutritional science i've tried to decode exercise science i've tried to decode sleep science i've tried to decode um mental skills science for people and i've i believe that we need to do that in a way that's frictionless for the person who's the recipient of that information. I think that that's our job as scientists who are, you know, if if you have a job as a professor um, or as a scientist in most places, you are probably funded to some degree by public uh, taxes. So it's our job to help people in the general population to understand science that they can make their lives better as part of what we do. That's why I'm active on Twitter. That's why I put science information up on Instagram. That's why I do these podcasts Uh, That's why I write books. Why I love doing public speaking so much is because if I can help people understand the science of the human body better, I am sure that people will make better decisions in their lives and ultimately reach their potential in whatever it is that they care about the most. And that has become the mission. That's become my purpose. That's become what I try to do on a daily basis. And why I'm so thankful for opportunities like this to connect to your audience, because it's another group of people that I would not otherwise have had a chance to speak to uh, in the course of my life. So it's just a blast. It's hilarious. Like I just can't believe that every single day, this is the type of stuff that I get to do now. The world is such an incredible place and technology like we're recording this interview over Skype. Like I'm in my home office right now and I'm talking to hundreds and thousands of people. It's just mind blowing. It's so much fun. And yeah, that's what we're, that's what I'm all about these days and what I'm trying to do as much of as possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible platform, and it's, uh, as you said, just incredible for all your information to be able to touch people like that is terrific, and definitely want to respect your time here today, Greg. So last couple of questions for you before we wrap up. First, on the elite sports side of things, you know, where do you think the next greatest gains will come from in the next five or ten years in the world of elite and pro
0: sports? Hmm, interesting. I think that – I can't predict five years from now. I'd say right now, the field that's probably gaining the most traction is sleep. I think athletes are really recognizing the value of sleep and investing in it. There was an article about the Toronto Raptors recently getting sleep coaching for all of their players. It's crucial The head coach for the Seattle Seahawks has been quoted as saying that sleep is our weapon. So that is an area that's big right now. I think obviously data analytics, and as artificial intelligence becomes better and better, we're going to have more of an opportunity to learn from big data about high performance, analyzing heart rate and GPS data and recovery metrics to be able to understand when athletes should perform and, and when maybe when they need might need a break. And then there's probably uh, technology that can have, I think, I'm sort of thinking my way through this because I've never answered this question before. It's interesting. The other technology I think that's particularly interesting is quantified self. And although we've had devices like Fitbit around for a long time, the technological advances that are being made now with things like the Oura Ring, which you can use to track your sleep, or Apple Watch, which can now measure an ECG, uh, and, and other apps like Whoop that can tell you a lot about your recovery even though they're very primitive we're just getting started in this field I think the ability to quantify your own physiology in order to learn more about yourself and then take action to train better to be healthier to eat better sleep better I think that's where we're really going to be able to see all of this science that we've learned from exponential technologies help each of us individually to live better lives so that's probably the area that I'm most excited about right now is quantified self merged with exponential technology uh, to help people improve, and I think that goes right from world champions all the way through to someone struggling to recover from a heart attack in the hospital.
1: It is incredible, isn't it? The uh, the real time data and of course that individualized, personalized data that you're getting to be able to inform an athlete's practice in terms of the training, the fueling, the recovery. It's 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 incredible and. And Greg, the last one here for people listening in, you know, coaches, athletes, practitioners, you know, anyone listening in who's trying to improve their focus, you know, what's one piece of advice that you would give to help them upgrade their, their focus and uh, mental performance?
0: uh, Meditation without question. If you want to improve your focus, if you want to improve your attentional control, then meditation is the primary tool in which you can train yourself to do it. It's like strength training for the mind. And you can use apps like Headspace and Calm to learn how to do meditation better. You can use devices like the Muse, M-U-S-E headband. You can check them out at choosemuse.com. I get no money from any of these devices or apps that I've mentioned. It's just stuff that I've used that I've found helpful. Uh, So yeah, meditation is the game. If you want to get better at concentration, focus, and controlling your attention, daily practice of meditation, anywhere from 3 to 20 minutes, can make a huge difference for you. And that goes for anyone from business people to a parent to a world class athlete.
1: Phenomenal, Greg. This has been a fantastic, terrific insights here, as always.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you joining me for this episode of the podcast. Your time is incredibly valuable, and spending it with me is just mind blowing. I, I thank you so much for doing that. It's great. If you want to support the show, if you enjoyed that segment and you want more, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and on Google Play. That makes a huge difference for us. And then also, if you can let me know what you think, all of my social media are at Dr. Greg Wells. And of course, if you can share this with anyone in your network, it would be greatly appreciated as well. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening and we'll speak to you again really, really soon.